Hello, this is Mike Van Meter. Welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast. Thanks again for joining me. You can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, and our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. So the reason we're doing this podcast is to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. So one of the issues that comes up in addiction is suicide. I can tell you in the years that I've been in recovery and around recovery circles and doing employee assistance work, suicide is nearly always discussed as a part of addiction issues. In fact, I would, I'm kind of scratching my head right now trying to think of a case I've worked with where that was not uh, uh, an issue that was thought about by the, the client that I was working with. So addiction is a real issue and is as is suicide. And the two are related in many cases. Now, the last time that we discussed um, addiction on this podcast, I had a guest on, and that's uh, Mark Fetzer. And we also had Jerry Slendy. And they talked about uh, a row that they were going to do. And by row, I mean in a boat across the Atlantic to raise awareness about suicide. And we talked about the actual event itself, which is the the physical row across uh, the Atlantic. And we, we talked about that and how they're going to be doing that in 2022. So they have about a year before that expedition is going to take place. But tonight, I want to explore more why this is an issue for Mark and Jared and how they got to this place and why they took on this cause. So I have on the phone here, I have Mark Fetzer. Welcome, Mark. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me again. Oh, great. Well, listen, thanks for joining us last time. Really appreciate you talking about the row across the Atlantic. And that's just a, a, a phenomenal feat that's hopefully going to get you a lot of attention. And uh, when I say you, I mean, get the cause attention, because that's that's why you guys are doing it. And um, we don't want to forget that. And so, Mark, if you would just kind of talk to us about why this cause, why suicide and what what brought you here? Sure, sure, Mike. And you, you bring up a great point that it, it truly the, the cause is the, the purpose here. Um, so, yeah, so uh, just to reiterate, um, I belong to an organization called Guardian Initiatives. It's a nonprofit uh, here in New Mexico where I work and live at. Uh, myself and uh, Jared Slendy, who's a coworker of mine and friend, uh, and also uh, my main partner here in Guardian Initiatives. We, uh, we started Guardian to, as a way, as a nonprofit, as a way to do things to bring awareness and, and assistance to kind of broad people or organizations or, or not necessarily organizations, but people or groups that are, have been negatively affected by tragic events. And we thought, you know, for our first initiative, um, why don't we do something that we are, uh, that, that involves really what we do, which is law enforcement. Both of us are law enforcement officers. I think Jared's about 12 years uh, on. I've got about uh, going on 19 years total on. And um, so first responder, we say law enforcement, but really we decided to do it for all first responders. So fire, police, EMS, and dispatchers as well. Uh, the mental wellness and suicide prevention and said, we're going to raise money and awareness for this. And, uh, you know, you really kind of need something for the shock and awe factor. And so mm. kind of along the same time, you know, we're talking about rowing across the Atlantic Ocean in a race called the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge and rowing not to not to win the race. And, you know, we're not we're not crazy athletes. We're just really normal guys. Um, but, you know, hey, what a better way to try to raise awareness for this 
than doing something that kind of shocks people's, you know, uh, grabs their attention and, and, and shocks their conscious there. Um, so yeah, let's row across a boat you know, across the ocean, 3000 miles from the West coast of Africa to the Caribbean, um, and be fully self-supported. So kind of all came together at the same time. Uh, and you know, as far as the, the reason or, or kind of our connection to the first responder wellness and, and suicide prevention, I'll tell you this, you know, I'm, I'm going to explain kind of, I, I already did kind of explain how it started but it's really strengthened for us and, and grown on us. And we've realized so much more as we go on every day, we learn more, we get more involved in this, you know, conversations you and I have had or readings we've done talking to other people, uh, hearing how deep it goes. And, and, and we see like, man, we couldn't have been uh, more spot on with it, with a cause than, than what we did for this. Um, I kind of mentioned in the previous podcast, but for anyone who, who, who hadn't heard that one, you know, I'm, I'm third generation law enforcement. My grandfather was a police officer. Uh, my dad was a police officer. Now I grew up with my dad. I, he was a police officer long before I was born. And my dad suffered wellness issues from the job, mental wellness issues from the job, which of course the mental wellness issues all will later relate into physical wellness issues oftentimes. Um, and he suffered from that, from the job. Now, my sister and I have one sister, she's a little bit older than me. And, um, you know, this is how we knew my dad though. We knew him to be on edge. A lot of the times we knew him to be, you know, uh, uh, have periods of, of depression, but that's just how we knew him. And we didn't, you know, we, we didn't know anything about, well, this is all related to his job. Um, but he knew it. And I think my mom knew it. And, um, he took a medical retirement eventually. I mean, he, he, you're talking about a man who slept about one hour a day, uh, all job related, couldn't get off a night shift. Um, he slept an days. hour a day. Yeah. About an hour a day is all Ooh. he got towards, towards the, you know, towards the, the later years. Yeah. Um, and he got better. He sought, you know, uh, help, uh, from professionals and got better. He had, you know, depression. And from what I remember as a kid, them telling us, my parents telling us, you know, like his depression levels were off the charts or the scales that they use. Um, he had, you know, kind of obsessive compulsive disorder from certain things and anxiety. And, and, and we knew that. I mean, you, there was times when I, I saw my dad would, he'd be telling me a story about his dad growing up and he'd start breaking down crying. Or, you know, other times when you'd spill a glass of water, which took nothing more than to clean it up and he'd, he'd go off the handle on you. Well, he got well from all that. And after getting well, one, he was a totally different person. And um, but then uh, he told us as a family, you know, that there were times when he contemplated suicide. He considered suicide. He needed a way to end it. And he had a plan. He knew what he was going to do. You know, he would call out in a fake pursuit and run into a tree or telephone pole. And, and, you know, so that way it didn't look like suicide. And, you know, I, I realized all this, I, I keep going back, let me back up. I keep going back to saying, you know, this is how we knew my dad. And this was our norm from at least my sister and I. Um, and uh, I, 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 I thought about more of this after we even got into the cause. I mean, I, this wasn't a driving force behind us determining this cause. Our, 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 
our thought into, you know, figuring, well, this is the cause we're going to do was, you know, we knew this was a problem. We knew there was talk about it. We knew there was people within our own agency that have suffered. Um, and, but I realized this after, and it made me just think of how frequent wellness issues are, suicidal thoughts are, uh, that to me and my sister, that was growing up around a dad who suffered from wellness issues. We didn't think anything of it at the time, other than be careful what you do around dad. Um, so like I said, I mean, the, the, the cause has grown on us, not just from personal experiences, but also, you know, both of us are administrators at, at our agency and, you know, seeing things at other agencies, hearing things around the state, um, and just being more, uh, aware of the problem. Now you start to see more issues again, not just at our agency, but at other agencies and, and places around the country as well. So it's a, uh, the, the, the row is our, is our opportunity to catch people's attention. And then like Jared always says, you know, when we're talking about rowing across an ocean, we're going to be talking about mental wellness yeah um as well and that that's the whole point of this so your interest your interest in the the cause of suicide awareness would you say that that came from your your family experience with your dad or were there things that happened professionally at work that caused you to say hey i need to pay attention to this i think i think neither really i mean our, our our thought about it our decision to get into it was more like i said just knowing that this we, we, we had enough knowledge to know this is a problem. I mean, we weren't living in a hole. We had enough knowledge to know, you know, there's a nationwide problem on here. That there were organizations that tracked statistics on officer suicides. Um, nothing at our agency. You know, I, I, I hadn't experienced anything at my own agency, any triggering event that made me think we need to do something about this. But it was just knowing that it was a problem and knowing it was a problem that's not um, not addressed a lot. You know, we're gonna we, we're we're gonna spend our time and efforts to raise money and awareness and, and 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 training for a problem. Let's do a problem that's not that's not necessarily in the mainstream. You know, and we could be bringing in extra tactical training, um, but there's already plenty of that. So let's do the wellness. This is a huge huge thing, and and this does come after. Uh, you know, after my, my time at the National Academy and hearing about it as well from, from people that I was in, you know, talking to other law enforcement professionals and hearing their stories of it. So again, we, we knew it was a problem, but it was no, it was no triggering factor. Um, but it has all those, we've seen all those things, not triggers, but just things that support, yes, we're doing, we're going down the right path here with what we're trying to do. Yeah. So, in what you have learned, and talking about the issue itself of of suicide, kind of give me. Let's start with sort of the thirty thousand foot look at what are your thoughts on that. What leads to this? Let's just start with that. What What do you think leads an individual down that path? Now, uh, I'll qualify this with that. You know, you you and I, uh, Mark, are not doctors. We aren't uh, psychiatrists or psychologists, but we are people that have been in law enforcement for a long time. And we have seen this both not in, in our, just in our agencies, but with, with people that you've had to deal with as a law enforcement officer. You come across this quite a bit. And I've developed my own thoughts and opinions on this. But let me ask you first, what, it, what is kind of the big 30,000 foot opinion that you have on this issue? 
I, you know, I, I, as a first responder, you face stresses, um, stresses that are unique to the job. Um, and, and knowing ability to cope with those stresses and, you know, a lot of jobs have stresses, don't get me wrong. And I know in talking to a, a, a physician here recently about it, you know, that physicians are also high on a, on a suicide um, rate, which is, you know, again, just awful. And, and But so I know other jobs, I'm not taking away from other professions, but first responders see things, hear things, deal with people at awful times. And so having, if we're just taking that kind of 30,000 foot view, you know, having the ability to deal with that, those stressors of the job, add on top of that, the stressors of everyday life that all of us experience, whether you're a first responder or not, you know, um, you, you, you may be a teacher, you may be a truck driver, you may be a construction worker. There's stressors of, of, of life, as we know. Uh, whether those are just physical health stresses, family stresses, um, financial stresses, relationship stresses, children stresses. Um, there's all those different stressors that we're all affected by. So take all those normal day-to-day stressors. Add on top of that the, the, um, the stressors specific to the job. And seeing, I, th- I think part of those stressors associated with the job, I, I definitely want to add this. You, it, you see the worst in people. You don't just see yeah. a product of the worst in people. You know, you do see that. You do see people beat up. You see domestic violence victims. You see homicide victims. Um, you see drunk driving crashes. You don't see, but you also you're 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 diving into that um, that drama of, and I don't say that in a negative way, but that drama of. I mean, that's when people call us, right? When they're when they're struggling, when they're having a problem, when there's an issue that they can't resolve, some crisis in their life. So you're going to that high escalation. So, okay, I'm sorry. You take all those stressors. Now, take a personality. Take a personality. And I'm going to speak specifically to law enforcement here because it's the area I know the most. Take a personality of I'm the person you call when you need help. I don't need help. You call me for help. That's right. And I'm I'm here to fix it. And... It's that, you know, it's that, that, that kind of traditional type A personality of, of, of being a law enforcement officer. So do we have the, do we have the ability? We do have the ability, but are, are we, are we, can we force ourselves to stop and say, Hey, now I need help. And, and, and you know, we kind of, I think oftentimes look at ourselves as um, not superior, but tougher in a way. In that, you know, again, I'm the person you call for help. I don't, I'm not the one that needs help. You need help and I'm going to fix your problems. Um, and uh, so I think having, you know, take all the stresses, now take a, a personality that is not necessarily programmed to stop and even recognize I, I'm, I'm, my glass is filling up and I need to empty it uh, or, or even willing to stop and say, I need help. And there's a lot of reasons for that outside. I think the the personality, um, you know, that type A personality that uh, I think some of it has to do with cultures within agencies. I think a lot of it has to do with that. Um, how are my, how are my, you know, coworkers going to react? How's my family going to react? Am I going to lose my job if I, if I say I'm having this? How, you know, where do I get help? Can I afford help? I, there's a lot of things um, that I think end up having wellness issues go untreated 
leading into this area that that for for some tragically ends in suicide yeah and you know it's funny that you mentioned that because i often talk about recovery from addiction is being for the same reasons so in recovery i will say that the toughest group of people to work with it recovery wise are police officers to to a certain extent military but um, definitely police officers and I think a lot of what you are talking about has the same application for suicide. Uh, step one of Alcoholics Anonymous is I am powerless uh, over alcohol and my life has become unmanageable. Now we can, we can change that to I am powerless over now fill in the blank uh, and my life has become unmanageable, right? I'm powerless over a situation. I'm powerless over my job or my divorce or my terrible boss, whatever, fill that blank in. And, and then the second part of that is my life has become unmanageable. But like you mentioned, th we are in a profession where you are trained to be uh, all powerful. You know, if, if we're in a fight, uh, you and I are in a fight, I'm going home, you're not. Um, I'm not, uh, not going to be defeated in any, by any means I, am I going to be defeated. Now, is that a great treat to have in a cop? Absolutely. If you're, when I was a, a police officer in Washington, D.C., and much of the time I patrolled by myself, I had to carry myself. I had to demonstrate that I was, I, I was it. Okay. I, I was fearless on the street. I had to, um, you know, if there was a situation, if I stopped a car with six, um, you know, gangbangers in the car, you had to know that I was going to control that situation. That's an admirable quality. If you're an infantryman, if you're a pilot, if you're a surgeon, those are great things to have. Mm -hmm. But the problem is when you get to this point in your career or in your life where your life has gone down that dark tunnel, that is the time when you've got to realize that that is not only not a good trait and not a good quality, but it, it's very dangerous. And I know in my own recovery journey, when I finally surrendered, right, and that was not a word that I, it was even in my vocabulary, when I surrendered to the darkness that was my life, that was that my addiction, only then, coupled with, I was, I, I I was open and willing to listen to people that could help me, and that's the, the second part of that, was I able to get better. And the same is true in the subject of, of suicide, is that um, I think people get down this road where, like you mentioned, the, it's this, this dark tunnel that they go down, and they don't see a light at the end of that tunnel. And they don't, even if they want to get help, they don't get help because, it, you know, what, what is my boss going to think? What are my coworkers going to think? You know, because a police department or a sheriff's office or the FBI, wherever you come from, it's a small circle, right? It's a, you know, it's a small community and words get around and your reputation in, in that community is, is everything to you, you know, in, in law enforcement. And, and unfortunately, people become more concerned about what others are going to think of them than doing what they need to do to get well. And that's because of the stigma associated with it. And I will tell you that um, when I got past that in my own world, in my own life, my life got a lot better. And in time, I didn't really care what people thought of me. It was just, in fact, as most people in my life already knew I had a problem, and they were very happy for me when I finally got the help that, that I needed because I became a much better person and a much better employee. But maybe address that a little bit further, uh, Mark, you know, the stigma. So um, so you're convinced that that's a big reason why people don't reach out to get help, right? Now, along with ability, insurance, and money, and those are other issues too. But let's let's be honest. 
a lot of it is the stigma in the law enforcement community that keeps people from getting help. Wouldn't you think? I, I, yeah, I would, I would totally agree. And I think, you know, part of that goes down kind of what we've just been discussing. Part of that also includes a personal stigma, you know, and, and as you're talking, I'm just sitting here thinking about um, how many calls, how many, how many times have I been dispatched to a call to a suicidal person? A lot. If somebody calls, calls dispatcher, if the suicide hotline contacts, you know, 911 dispatch um, because of, uh, you know, somebody with suicidal threats, um, it, it, law enforcement's going to go. Where now this brings up a whole nother topic on, you know, I mean, we, we may not even be the, the right ones to go, but tend to, you know, who else in, in this situations are going to go. So we end up going. Um, and so that personal stigma or for the same respect calls of people dealing, you know, mental health issues, um, n- not all, but we you know when, when people get into that crisis associated with it. So now all of a sudden personally to think, am, am I willing to admit that I'm struggling in the same way that, I go to, I handle this problem for people on the street. So there's that personal stigma of, I, I don't want to, you know, same way I, I, I don't think most cops, you know, would want to be considered a criminal because we work so hard putting, you know, criminals in jail, finding criminals and, 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 and putting them in jail or, you know, getting restitution to victims. Um, you know, we don't want to say that I may at some point in my life be in, in that same need for somebody else to intervene. Because uh, of the crisis, so I think one, you have the personal stigma. Um, two, I think yes, a stigma within agencies, and I, I believe this is a stigma that we we are we are the the, the tide is changing right now. Um, I think the more we talk, just you know, you and I's discussion today about this, and every conversation that goes on amongst administrators or you know law enforcement agencies, individual officers or deputies or medics or dispatchers about the problem, you know, the more it can be discussed, I think if somebody's having an issue, the more willing they're going to be to come forward because it's not a discussion we're having right now of, you know, Mike, if anybody in my agency uh, says, you know, that they, they're having wellness issues or suicidal, then I'm sorry, I can't, I can't trust them with a gun and a badge anymore. Right. That's not what we're saying at all. And so that's, that's what people, individuals need to understand within the profession. It's not, um, it's not career ending. It, you know, having these issues is not is not necessarily career ending. Now, not dealing with them and having something bigger come about of them, you know, getting having a, you know, a domestic uh, situation or, you know, doing something uh, from addiction, you know, not getting help with that addiction or, you know, of course, suicide, that is career ending. And, and you know, there's, there's no coming back from that. So I think stigmas within agencies and in the years past, you know, I mean, again, this job being a very, like I mentioned before, a very type A personality um, job, kind of one of those things of, you know, hey, this is what you signed up for. I mean, you signed up to be a cop. If you don't want to see, you know, if you don't want to see gore or, or deal with people who have been, you know, abused or deal with death, well, this is probably not the job for you. It, you know, it, it's, it's what you signed up for. And then that same thing, when you start dealing with um, issues and you start having wellness problems, I think that same mentality existed within agencies when people are like, well, it's a job you signed up for, toughen up, get over it. Um, and maybe, I, I don't know, like you said at the beginning, I'm not a professional on this. You know, I know years back when my dad was getting into law enforcement, even to this day, but, you know, there's a lot of veterans getting into law enforcement. 
um, kind of that same structured type uh, job, if you will. And maybe some of that stemmed from there or it was just natural within the profession. I'm, I'm not sure. But so I do think there's a stigma both personally and um, within agencies. But I do, like I said, I do believe we are we're seeing we're seeing that change now. Yeah, and you you raised a good point, and it's something that that I often talk about. And uh, again, on the alcohol side, which is my main focus, my main world, I've often said that um, alcoholics that are in recovery are not a security threat. You know, I, I come from the FBI world, so we all have security clearances, and that and that's what you know people in my world are usually concerned with is, oh, they're going to take my security clearance away, and therefore I can't do the job. So I always said. Um, somebody who's in recovery from alcoholism is not a security threat, but somebody that is, is an alcoholic that is not in treatment or not in recovery absolutely is a security threat. And, and I can tell you from personal experience that being in recovery with a, a, a mental health issue or an addiction issue is not a problem as long as it is being addressed. And now the problem with that is getting people to to believe it. You know, people say, "I, you know, I hear you, Mike. I hear you, but you don't know my agency." Well, I, I can tell you, I I can't think of any cases where people were addressing the issue and were successful in addressing the issue and continue to have problems. But like like you just said, Mark, that is, it's when you don't address that issue, then it spirals into behaviors on your part where then you you get involved in a domestic or you um, you know hurt someone or maybe even hurt yourself and and in your agency shows up Th- then you start having issues that are kind of hard to walk back and, and get out of so I think that the key takeaway there is and let me know if you agree with me or not is um, getting help early early the earlier the better and the fewer problems you're gonna have when it comes to your career that though that's uh, you really the the sooner the better you, you got to get uh, this addressed early on. Would you agree with that? Oh, a- absolutely. Absolutely, Mike. And, and even, mm-hmm. I mean, to take that one step further, yes, if, if, if you detect something is, is wrong or a family member detects something wrong or a partner detects something wrong, the earlier the better, correct. But even, even more so than that, I, I think where we need to start and where some agencies are and have done very good, we need to start being proactive about it. Mm-hmm. Let's not... Let's not be early at, 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 at treating, and I'm going to give a, a very, very generic example here, but uh, let's not get better at, at, at treating lung cancer early. Let's do more of a risk management technique and try to avoid getting lung cancer. You know, let's be proactive in our in, in preventative measures. And I think there are, there are things as first responders, you know, certain, uh, tr- certain things to understand, certain things to know, certain things to be practicing that can help keep us from getting to those positions at all. Um, but then again, like you say, on the recognition, as soon as something is recognized, yes, the sooner the better. Because I, and I, I've, I've said this in my presentations as we go around presenting about wellness um, for, our, for our row, and that is, you know, your glass is going to fill up. As a first responder, your glass is going to fill up. It may be a, it may be a trickle effect, you know, of, of, of small things over time. It may be a a full open faucet from a major incident, but it's going to fill up. And if you don't empty it when and where you want to um, under, you know, in a controlled environment, it's going to overflow at some time that we don't know when that will be. Um, and, and, you know, more often than not, it's not at the right time. Um, so, uh, and that goes right to that, that prevention um, and, and taking care of things right away. 
Yeah, and taking care of yourself too. And I, I think that one of the things that you have is a first responder, but it's not limited to being a first responder. I think there's a lot of professions that have the, what I'm about to say happen to them. And that is that, you know, law enforcement and being a first responder in particular, but I, you could say that being a surgeon, being, um, you know, really any other profession that you've devoted your life to, it becomes your identity. Like I noted, that's the one thing I have always noticed about law enforcement, the time that I've been in the law enforcement and in the military is, you know, I wasn't just a police officer. I wasn't just an FBI agent. I mean, it was, it was who I was. It wasn't what I was. In other words, it wasn't just that it was my job, but it was who, who, what it defined me. And that's why so many people when they retire is a first responder, have a hard time adapting to not being a first responder. And, and by the way, I'm saying that from experience. Um, you know, I'm about a year, year and a half removed from retiring from the FBI. And uh, I'd be lying to you if I didn't feel like like a part of who I was is gone. You know, I that's I didn't realize until after I retired, you know, how much I realized uh, that that's, that's who I was. Now, having said that, um, once you become that, it becomes everything about you. It, it's your your focus. It's your life, and then you stop doing things that you used to do. And in my world, we call it a, we call it the eustas. I used to work out. I used to uh, go shooting. I used to go fishing. I used to play the guitar or the piano or uh, do acting, le- dancing lessons with my wife. I used to do that. All these things, the eustas, and then our whole world becomes our profession. And then you find that the profession can be very toxic. It can be very damaging to you psychologically, emotionally, physically, and it starts taking that toll but uh, on you. And, and I don't know anybody that's been uh, in law enforcement for any length of time that hasn't experienced that. It is a very, very toxic profession on you personally. But then what you've done is you've taken away all those things that you used to do that you used to enjoy that had, and let me clear, be clear about this, things that had nothing to do with your job. It was like another world that you had. It was another outlet and you stopped doing that. And then your world becomes this one thing in, in your world. I mean, uh, truth be told, how many of you out there listening to us right now, and particularly if you're in law enforcement, find that you only hang around other law enforcement people? How many of you, when you're out with your uh, spouse, partner, significant other, or family, um, how many of you talk about work when you're not at work? You could be at dinner. Now, how many of you have had your partner look at you and say, I really get tired of you talking about work? Like, Mark, has that happened to you? Is there truth in what I'm saying? Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Is that healthy? Um, Is that mentally healthy for you? Yeah, no. And, and you know, it's funny because I, I've recognized it over the years. And, 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 I've, and when I talk to our new recruits, we just had a group of new recruits uh, about to enter the police academy, come through the office, um, and I, we get to spend some time with them before they go off to the academy. And one thing I talk to them about um, is balance. And, and t- you talk about bringing the job home. You know, it's a, it's a profession you cannot turn off that, that you, you know, it, and so you're going to do things. But I tell guys like, listen, your wife sitting in the passenger seat doesn't care that the vehicle in front of you has an expired registration. You know, that you've got to be able to turn things off uh, and, and, and you're never going to completely. There's always going to be, you know, we're, we're always going to have those habits, those, those officer safety habits that are going to bleed into our personal lives or a level of awareness, which we should have. You know, I mean, I, especially mm-hmm. I live in a small town. I've run into people 
you know, off duty with my family and people that I've had to, you know, ar- dealt with arrest or had bad dealings with in the past. And so we've got to, you know, we, 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 the job just makes it to where we have to be like that. But one of the things I found, Mike, in my own personal life, again, that same thing, I started off as a baby cop and my world revolved around it. And, and of course, this is something, you know, I mean, I have a picture of me as a little kid, you know, probably six or seven years old in a police uniform that looked just like my dad's because it's all I ever wanted to do. I used to go on ride alongs with him when I was a little kid. And so little, I had to sit on his briefcase to see over the, 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 <laughs> the dashboard of the, the car, you know, and I'd ride around with him for a few hours and then my mom would come pick me up. So this is everything I always wanted to do. So I became a brand new cop and my world revolved around it. Now I'd already been a shooter and competitive shooting prior to getting into law enforcement, but that continued, you know, and wanting to train on, on different things and going to the SWAT trainings when I could go to the SWAT trainings and, you know, watching or reading books about, I mean, I, I read investigation books in my off time and, um, and then something changed. I started going to school. I made the decision in my mind, you know what? I want to go to school. And it was all right around the same time. I realized, you know what? I need a break. I need a break from some of this. Um, and because the same thing, I would hang out with other cops off duty. And what would happen when I hung off with other cops off duty? We talk about work and we're talking yeah. about bad guys. And yeah. you know, we always say while you're fishing, about, <laughs> if, correct, if you're still fishing, exactly, right, that, that if, if you're still thing. doing that. Right. Yeah. Well, that's what happened. We would go, my, one of my friends that I've worked with for many years here, he and I would go out fishing. Um, we're, we're, we're lucky enough to have some famous uh, world-class fishing here where we live. And, um, we would go out fishing and be talking about work. And finally I told him one day, he said, we've got to stop talking about work. I don't care what we talk about. Let's not talk about work because, you know, this very, and this is something else I tell my recruits that, you know, a very small percentage of the population creates most of our work. Um, and That's unfortunately true. we begin to view society as that small percentage and that's compounded even worse when we hang out with our buddies off duty who are also cops and we continue to talk about this small percentage about, you know, uh, this guy doing, you know, catching this guy doing that or catching this guy doing this. And again, we never break out of that circle then. And then we cannot see, we can't see when we're all, we're around other other sick people, if you will, and I say sick loosely, but you know, other people with maybe the same struggles, we can't necessarily identify our struggles because they look normal. Um, I mentioned going to school. It was when I started going to school and I started to be around other people that were outside law enforcement. I could have other conversations with, and that was like an aha moment to me. And to the, from that day on, that was back in 08, from that day on, I have uh, you know, made it a point to, to go out and do things with other people who aren't cops. Um, they're teachers, they're mechanics, they're, uh, you know, w- w- any other, any other profession. And, you know, you're of course going to talk about your job, but, um, but you can also get out of talking about the job and talk about other things. And you see, you begin to see, which again, I think this is a huge part of the wellness. You begin to see that there's other people in society that are good people that we never deal with. That's right. Um, that's right. And, and, and that's a huge part. And it goes back all back to that balance um, in our lives that I, I, I think we need. That's one aspect of that balance, that kind of social balance that, that I, I, I stress to our recruits. You've got to do stuff. You've got to keep your hobbies. You've got to do things that, that keep you grounded. And, you know, Mark, and this, this all goes back to the mental health 
and wellness that can help an individual not go into that dark spot that may take them to the point where they think ending their life is a good thing. Because, um, you know, if you've listened to previous podcasts that we've done here, you know that, that, that I started going down that dark tunnel in my profession as well. And one of the best things I ever did, uh, I, I talked about becoming a spin instructor. Now, it could be anything, but that, that just happened to be, I happened to get into wellness, you know, a physical wellness and, and diet and exercise and thing. That became my, that thing that used to, right? That was something that I was really into growing up and in high school and then lost that in my career at some point. And, and I started, you know, I got spin instructor certified, started doing that, got into cycling, got into triathlon. And that became my thing. And now the reason why I mentioned that, because again, you can you can apply it to any hobby that you're into. It doesn't have to be diet and exercise. It could be something else. But what happened was that while I was working as an FBI agent, I had another parallel part of my life where I started setting goals. I got it. I did ultra marathons. I've actually done 50 mile runs before. Um, I've done 30 mile runs before. I've done you know triathlons. And what would happen is I would set a goal of, hey, I want to do this marathon or I want to do that ultra marathon or I want to do that triathlon over there. And then outside of my job, you know, like, so my daily existence would be being an FBI agent and doing the casework and doing all the things and experiencing the stressors that you and I've been talking about, Mark. But then I would also have in the back of my mind, hey, but today I've got to do, you know, this far of a run or I got to do, uh, go cycling, do a cycling class or, uh, swim or whatever type of training. And it was fine. It was nice because I had goals in my life. I had things on my schedule that mm -hmm. did not involve being an FBI agent and, and the stressors that go along with that. And I had things that I was working towards. And hey, the benefit was it was helping me stay not only in physical condition, but more importantly, um, mentally, it was very mentally healthy for me to have that alone time, that quiet time. And I was associating people because I, I would be involved in groups that triathlon groups and running groups with with the people that you're talking about that were not law enforcement officers and they all had different professions and I would have conversations with them about training or about them or about you know what's going on in the world but what we weren't doing wh what we were not doing what I was not doing was talking about my job and it gave me another life outside of work and I think that that's very healthy mentally to do for any of us to do yeah I I, I 100% agree with that um, I think it's, it's, it's critical if we want to get through a job, through a first responder job, healthy. Uh, you know, the, the, the reality is more people start the profession and never make it to the other end. Yeah. Uh, most of them don't make it to the other end, not because of, of, of suicide or line of duty deaths, but never make it to the other end because something happens within the job. They, they realize this is not for me. And I, I can't help but think um, that a lot of that thought of this is not for me, this is not working for my family is because of mental stresses and, 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 and wellness and that they're able to get out. If somebody gets in the job and realizes this isn't for me, I can't handle this stress. I, I don't, you know, would never hold that against anybody. Um, you know, the job is not for, for everybody. Um, so I think if we want to get through a career healthy, if we want to make it to the end and enjoy the benefits of, you know, the oftentimes the retirements that come with it. Um, but just get through satisfied and happy. You've got to have that balance and, and those, you know, parts of your life, a good part of your life that is outside of the job. Um, 
Yeah, you have to, because when you get to people that uh, are getting to the point where they think ending it all is the answer in this job, it's because they've lost, I mean, let's face it, it's just you've lost hope, you've you've lost direction, you've lost any sense of future and, you know, worth of, of your life. And I think that one of the problems, and this is just my philosophy, is... Um, Again, it goes down to we we think that this is our life, the job. Well, the fact is I was not born. I did not come into this world as an FBI agent, and I'm not going to leave this world as an FBI agent. In fact, I'm already not an FBI agent anymore because I retired. So the question is, what do you do when it's all over with? And and if your answer to that is I'm only this one thing, then that's going to be very, very dangerous. And you have to have something outside of you that you can point to and and know that that this other purpose there's another purpose in your life now for me that was realizing that um god had uh, a plan for me god had a plan for me in my life and i'm not preaching i'm not i'm not don't think i'm about to drop religion on you because i'm not everybody walks their own walk everybody makes their own decisions i'm just telling you from my perspective what it what it means and maybe really the overarching lesson here as far as i'm concerned is it just has to be you need to have there there has to be a purpose to your life and i think that that what i've experienced it, with those that have committed suicide in uh, in my world the circle that i'm aware of uh, those individuals just lost that hope it was almost like they couldn't see a future in their life and that direction was gone and you know, that, that good orderly direction of their life that's outside of them and that, and that purpose. And, um, I think that's, that's the tough part is getting people to get that direction back and understanding the larger purpose to their being here on this earth. Um, you have any thoughts on that, Mark? I, I, I would agree. I mean, it, if we, we, we get too focused in on the job, if that's our life, you know, we, we, we don't have that perspective outside. We don't have that perspective of a lot of things. Uh, one, you know, one of the things is, you know, like you mentioned about struggling to, to step out of that role in reality. I mean, as soon as we step out of our roles, I, I well, I haven't experienced it yet at my agency because I haven't retired yet. I've seen it happen. You know, the wheel keeps turning without us. Uh, that machine's yeah. going to continue moving forward. And, you know, and that's not to say we don't, you know, we shouldn't go to work and, 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 and work hard and do our best every day to make the organization better, make the community safer, um, you know, and, 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 but the truth is, as soon as we step out, things are going to keep going. It's not going to fall apart. Uh, and I would have that fear myself, like, oh my gosh, how, you know, how's there, whoever takes my position going to understand all these different things that I do to keep things going? How is this going to function right. without me? <laughs> correct, correct. It's going to be all right. So that's one perspective to, to realize, you know, another perspective, I think that stepping out also helps, you know, a lot of people, you know, we deal with good people at work. Don't get me wrong. Unfortunately, good people uh, have crises in their life, whether it's, uh, you know, something yeah. as simple as a fender bender or more tragic as a fatal accident, or they were a victim of something. Good people, you know, need law enforcement assistance at times. Um, but like I said, a small percentage of that population, um, of the population creates the majority of our work. I mean, the whole repeat offender thing, we're, we're constantly dealing with people, um, the same people. So understanding too, and this is where stepping out and, and having friends and associates outside of law enforcement, you also realize not, not just that there's good people out there, 
but there is an unprovoked appreciation for what we do as well from most people. The news doesn't report on this, you know, they, they, the majority of the time, you, you know, you hear about dislike of law enforcement. You're not going to see on, on national TV, in my opinion, you're not going to see a, an event about, you know, supporting first responders, a march to support first responders. But if it's a anti-police movement, that's going to be splashed all over. So it gives an opportunity to see that there is that kind of unprovoked appreciation for what we do. And you know what? Sometimes you realize, too, uh, that it's it's not necessarily from the people you think it would be from. And what do I mean by that? I, I also... Uh, was a runner for a lot of years and really loved to run. And I became good friends with a guy around here. We met at a kind of funny, we met at a running group, but we'd already, um, no pun intended, ran into each other in like two separate races. And we kind of, and we ended up, we're just about the same pace. So every time we ran, we, we were together, whether that was in a race or, or somewhere else. And, um, you know, I became pretty good friends with this gentleman. And then later on, he told me, you know, Hey, just so you, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a felon. And, you know, he told me the story why, and, and I had to think about it. This is the first time now as a cop, here I am, I'm going to have that, you know, we talk about that stigma. I'm going to have this idea of, well, I don't hang out with felons. Um, and, you know, it was a situation from a long time ago and an unfortunate accident and that, you know, he was, he was at fault for. Um, but it made me realize, you know what, they're not bad people. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not saying that you know we we would associate with any criminal out there. Uh, I think there's a difference in an active criminal and somebody who's made a mistake and and paid their time and and repented of their their errors. And again, you just realize you start this kind of humanity side of, of getting out, dealing with people. People aren't necessarily bad. Even people who've made mistakes in the past aren't necessarily. They're not bad people. Um, but it takes stepping out of that circle where we deal with it to, to see that. And that helps having that perspective. I keep you, we talk about the preventative medicine to keep mm -hmm. you from staying well, to keep you from getting in that dark place where all of a sudden this road leading down to suicide. That's, I believe one, one part of it um, that helps keep us uh, grounded. Yeah. And you raise a good point, particularly this year, this has been a very difficult year for law enforcement with all the riots and the bad press and the, uh, you know, this was a, an election year. So a lot of politics involved, um, involving law enforcement. And I know that the the officers and agents that I've worked with, um, over the years, much of it is, you know, I'm, I'm unhappy at work. The profession's not what I thought it was going to be. Um, uh, you know, that, that happened particularly in the FBI quite a bit. You know, a lot of people, get into the profession and you think it's going to be all, you know, high speed, low drag, sexy stuff. And a lot of it's not, it's, you know, like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. The people aren't what I thought it was going to be. Uh, I don't like my boss. I don't like what I'm working on and, you know, on and on and on. The, the list of uh, detractors is, is endless, but then you couple that with the, the public and how y people start believing, well, the, the public hates us. And so not only am I unhappy at work, but then I'm being beaten up constantly. Every time I turn on the news, uh, we're being beaten up. But you raise a really good point. The fact is that that's very misleading. The vast majority of people out there, in my experience, appreciate law enforcement, appreciate what you're doing. And you were spot on in saying the majority of people in America are law-abiding, respectful, support the police, um, and they're good people. And the problem is that that's not who you're dealing with. 
Um, that's right. not who you're dealing with. And the fact is, the press talks about all the bad issues, all the bad things. They take that one or two people in the profession that have done bad things and then make it look like everybody in the, the profession are doing bad things, which is absolutely not true. But the problem is, if you're in that dark, depressed state, all this feeds into your psyche and you go to that dark place. And, and I think it's important to step back and understand that, you know, you are appreciated. You are appreciated as a person. Not everyone is bad. You are not bad. And stop watching the news. Stop watching all these reports about how, you know, what a bad person you are. You know what you are and you know how valuable you are to your agency, your community, to your family, you know, on and on and on. And, and that's what it comes down to is look at your self worth. Look at how worthy you are to the, uh, the community. And again, Never forget your purpose on planet Earth. Because, you know, ultimately, Mark, and I'll ask you this. If I was to ask you, what is your purpose for being here? What would it be? Mine would be a, a, a spiritual. Um, mine's going to go down to uh, glorifying God and, um, and, and helping do whatever I can to, to, to glorify him and pass that along to others as well. That's right. And I think that that, and that's what drives you on a daily basis, correct? It is. It drives me and, and has helped me over the years, uh, through experiences I've had in, in my profession and outside my profession, um, to, it's what's kept me grounded. It's what's helped me cope with, with situations that may be difficult to cope if you didn't, you know, if, if I hadn't had that understanding, um, of, of God and, and his plan, um, in, in his supremacy, if you will, uh, it, it would be hard to deal with. So, yes, that is what yeah. guides me and what has helped me over the years. So if for anybody listening to us right now that may be having those thoughts of just ending it all right now, what would be your departing um, thought to them? What would you say to that person right now? Uh, that, I mean... There is hope, and, 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 and I know that's probably overused, but there is hope. And also that you're thinking these thoughts, you're not in the correct mindset to make that decision um, because something is unwell, and it's, it's okay to be unwell. We can get better. Um, so there is, there's hope. I mean, there's hope. If, if you ask me, there's hope through God, and, and, and you need to pray and, and, and get on your knees and pray hard and, and, and talk to your family and talk to a pastor, even if you don't know one, call one up. Um, but that you need to stop and think that, you know, if I'm having these thoughts, something is not right because that, those aren't thoughts you would normally have if you were well. Um, and so there's, uh, you need to, to reevaluate once, once you get help and get better. And I guarantee that then those won't be your thoughts. Um, but, you know, praying to God and, and, and putting your faith in him uh, is be where I would start, first of all. Yeah, well said. And that just give it time, get the help. Things will get better. And, you know, just be around there for another day and, mm -hmm. you know, look at those around you and, and not, you know, don't create more pain where there already is pain. Don't create more pain. But talk to somebody and reach out and get help. And um, if you are in the first responder profession, 
and you're thinking that getting help is a sign of weakness, I will tell you that the exact opposite is true. It is actually a sign of strength, absolute strength to reach out and get help from others. So, uh, Mark, with that, um, wrap up with this and tell us a little bit more about your organization and where can the listeners uh, reach out to you, find out more information about what you guys are going to be doing. Sure. So again, our, our organization is Guardian Initiatives, um, and we're a nonprofit based out of New Mexico. And right now, our whole goal, everything we're doing is leading up to raising awareness um, and funding and support for first responder wellness and suicide prevention. Our, our, our big awareness, we, we, we have, we're, we're going at this with a three-pronged approach. First is awareness, uh, awareness campaign, you know, getting out, talking about this, just like we mentioned earlier talking about the problem. Uh, so people realize, Hey, there's people talking about it. You know, maybe I can approach this person. Maybe I can approach that person, or this isn't such a taboo subject after all, or making the general public, making families aware that this exists within, of course, every, every, you know, every profession and every person, but you know, it, there's uh, some special things within, within the first responder community. So awareness and part of our big awareness campaign is this row across the ocean. It's 3,000 miles, unsupported. Four of us will get into a boat in December 2022 across the Atlantic Ocean. Um, we, we mentioned it on the last episode, uh, Mike, kind of some of the similarities there of, you know, and, and not, to, not to liken it to struggling with a wellness issue or, or depression or suicide or addiction, anything like that. But, you know, this kind of this kind of uh, likeness of, of, you know, every day just waking up and what do you see? You see the same horizon and it doesn't look good. Right. I mean, there's just empty, bare ocean. Maybe the waves are rough that day. Maybe it's flat, dead and calm. No, no wind helping you. But every day, the same thing. We're going to be out there on the water for probably 35 to 40 days. Um somewhere in that area and every day for 35 to 40 days waking up and seeing nothing but through through teamwork it's going to take teamwork to get through this it's going to take resilience it's going to take personal resilience it's going to take working with each other keeping each other motivated helping each other um we will get through to the other end and one of those days we're going to wake up and we're going to see land that's not overnight obviously yeah um it's going to take a while so that uh, our, our awareness campaign of rowing across the ocean uh, that again, that'll be December 2022. Our two other uh, you, three prong approach we're doing training. So bringing in training for individual uh, first responders and their families. And right now we're working in our four corners area, four corners being, you know, the New Mexico, Colorado, Arizona, Utah, um, that I'm up in the northwest corner of New Mexico, um, bringing in training to individual first responders and their families, how to get through, a, uh, how to get through a profession mentally well, how to keep that mental, physical, financial, spiritual balance in our lives to get through well, what to look for signs of unwellness, right? What's normal, what's not. Um, so training for that training for agencies on how to develop that culture, how to break through that stigma, how to, how to have a culture, how do administrators handle situations, how do other officers, what do they do, what do they say if they see something, if they're worried about offending somebody, but what do they do? So there's training that needs to happen there. And then training for clinicians, this is an area we've already been able to attack uh, here locally, um, and that is training for clinicians on how to treat first responders. Oh, wow. That is, um, you know, because of the, because of the unique personalities, especially with law enforcement of, you know, think about it, anyone in law enforcement is going to understand what I'm talking about, you know, the skepticism you're going to have of, ah, 
Do I really want to open up my store to you? I'm skeptical of you. And what we found is treated improperly, handled improperly, um, can cause, can have the reverse effects and cause that first responder, that police officer to not want to go back to treatment at all. Um, and so it's got to be done right. So there's a lot of, you know, a lot of um, cultural aspects of the job to, to train. We were able to train about 150 first, or I'm sorry, clinicians from around our area and throughout the state of New Mexico. We were able to do some training with a local group, uh, public safety psychology group on, on those cultural aspects of first responders. And then the last leg that we're, we're working on, uh, you know, is on our, not working on, but is in our plan is to have a, you know, funding available for treatment when needed. Oftentimes, oh yeah, people have insurance. We get that, but sometimes maybe the insurance isn't going to cover who they who would be the right person for them to see. Maybe insurance isn't going to cover if they need to go to a specialized retreat. There are specialized retreats out there that deal with first responder wellness um, that are pretty expensive. So we want to have funding available for that. Or if it's a one of our volunteers, we have a whole force of volunteer deputies. Um, reserve deputies. Our whole fire department here in San Juan County is basically volunteer, 200 and something volunteers. They may not have the insurance that covers what they need for something they experience from the job. And so eventually we want to get to the point where Guardian is able to fund, help fund for select treatment um, when needed, because we don't feel that not having funding, there's no reason to not get treatment, um, especially, you know, you're doing a job to serve a community, to serve your people. Um, you know, we need to help them. So that's our, our three-pronged approach, awareness, training, treatment. Um, the shock and awe part in there being the, the, the rowing. That's how we get to talk to people. Um, and uh, so that's Guardian Initiatives. Our website is guardianinitiatives.org. Um, and I apologize. We, we learned later on we shouldn't have picked such a, a tricky name to spell. So guardianinitiatives.org. Um, and uh, that's where you can reach us. You can see some more about what we're doing. Um, if anyone inclined to help donate to the cause and help us help us make all this a reality um, and, and further it, uh, you know, we have a spot there to donate. We're a 501c3, so any company wanting to get involved uh, as a sponsor, uh, can. there's contact information on there. They can contact us. We have sponsorship packages available for the row. Um, so lots of cool things. And again, our contact information is out there and we're always willing to, uh, to talk to people. Are you on Instagram and Facebook as well? We are on Facebook as guardian initiatives and also, um, Instagram and, uh, so Facebook and Instagram as well. You can kind of follow us as we go, uh, on this journey with everybody. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's the main, the main gist of, uh, of our organization and, and, what we what we plan to do well mark thank you so much for coming back on here and talking to us about that and again reach out to uh guardianinitiatives.org uh the website they're on facebook they are on instagram um find out what they're all about donate if you feel so inclined and support this cause uh, december of uh, 2022 and it's going to be fantastic uh please forward this podcast to, to anybody that you think uh may benefit from it um any organizations or uh, individual people, because that's what we're here to do. Uh, we're here to, to educate the public about addiction and, and suicide, which again are closely related. And we, we talked a lot about the stigma associated with this, and we want to work to end the stigma associated with uh, uh, the discussion of suicide or any other type of addiction and offer, offer any help 
uh, that we can that are suffering from from these issues. So once again, guys, um, you can reach out to me as well. We have a Facebook site for Recovery is Possible. And uh, my website is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. I think I'm in competition with you for like complicated, long um, <laughs> website addresses. But uh, it is what it is, vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com and Mark Fetzer. Again, thanks. thank thanks, you for Mike. coming and joining us. So. Thank you. I appreciate the support. All right, man. Have a good night. And we are out. Bye.